Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello and welcome to The Waves for Thursday, September 27th, the Horseplay Edition. I'm Christina Cotarucci, a staff writer at Slate and host of the Slate podcast, Outward. And joining me for today's episode is someone you might remember, an old friend <laughs> from way back when, WNYC producer Verilyn Williams. Welcome home, Verilyn. Hey, Christina. <laughs> We're all so excited to welcome a new guest this week, Kristen Meinzer, co-host of the podcast By the Book. Hi, Woo-hoo! Kristen. Thanks so much for having me with you guys. I'm so excited. Yeah, we've been wanting to have you on for a while, so I'm really happy it worked out this week. Uh, Kristen's podcast, By the Book, forces her to live by self-help books to the letter, and she will not tell us what book she is living by right now, but the next season of her podcast is in production, and you should listen to it to find out how she's torturing herself. (laughs) This week, we're going to kick things off with a discussion of Brett Kavanaugh, Trump's choice for the open seat on the Supreme Court, who has been publicly accused of sexual harassment and assault by two women, one of whom is actually testifying at a Senate hearing today. Then we'll talk about weight and how the cultural stigma against fatness may pose more of a health risk to overweight people than obesity itself. And for our final topic, we'll talk about Napoli Ever After, a new Netflix movie about a black woman's decision to cut off all her hair after years of trying to make it, quote unquote, perfect. Then for our Slate Plus segment, we're going to decide whether public marriage proposals are sexist. Mm-hmm. And if you're not a Slate Plus member and you would like to know whether proposing to your boo in front of hundreds of people is sexist, you can start your free two-week Slate Plus trial by visiting slate.com slash thewavesplus. All right, Brett Kavanaugh. So for the past two weeks, we've been talking in the news about these two women who have stated publicly that Kavanaugh subjected them to sexual violence. Christine Blasey Ford, a professor, says he attempted to rape her, covering her mouth and ripping off her clothes when she was 15 and he was 17. And just recently, Deborah Ramirez came out in The New Yorker saying he shoved his exposed genitals in her face at a party when they were both freshmen at Yale. So at first, it kind of seemed like members of the Republican Party were at least making a show of acting like they wanted to hear Ford out. Trump said last week, if it takes a little delay, it'll take a little delay. (laughs) They'll go through a process and hear everybody out. I think it's important. It's so nice of him. Now he's calling it a con game. He said Ramirez was, quote, totally messed up. Senator Orrin Hatch said the second allegation, Ramirez's, was phony. Mitch McConnell says that that accusation was part of a coordinated smear campaign by the Democrats designed to tear down a good man. So now they're not even pretending like, you know, they might believe these women or that these accusations might be credible. They're just acting like it's a big political game. And there's so much we could talk about here. There's the Republican theory that 
possibly Brett Kavanaugh has a doppelganger that oh, both God. of the that Christine Blasey Ford is confusing him with that actually somebody else attempted to rape her. Uh, Chuck Grassley, another senator, was whining about how inconvenient it was that he was forced to schedule a fifth day of the hearings. Um, Ford is testifying today, of course. But I want to start with the picture that it paints of this specific kind of high school and college party culture and bro culture, which to me felt so vivid and true in both of these accounts, where not only is uh, somebody, allegedly Brett Kavanaugh, perpetrating sexual violence against these women, but he's surrounded by men egging each other on when they're all drunk. Mm. Uh, They're sort of using these women's bodies as a vehicle for their socializing, bonding over their shared contempt for women. And there's all these details in both of the allegations, like somebody in college, uh, Ramirez's accusation, um, where, you know, they're they're all drunk, they're in a common room in a dorm. He or somebody allegedly pulls down his pants and shoves his penis in her face. Somebody yells, kiss it. And someone else yells down the hall, Brett Kavanaugh just put his penis in Debbie's face. Like that not that I've had that exact experience, but that to me felt so much like something a college boy or a set of college boys would do. I don't know about you guys. Yeah. I mean, it's completely performing aggression for the other men in the room rather than performing sexually for a willing partner. And the idea that it's comedic or that people would laugh at a woman's discomfort, it's clearly not for her benefit in any way. This whole culture of male fraternity or boys will be boys or what have you. Um, Horseplaying. Yes, horseplay. That's a word that keeps coming up. It's just, it's preposterous. And yet it it has centuries of social acceptance with it too. And I forgot who Mm -hmm. it was. Somebody in the White House was saying that, you know, if if these guys are going to be getting in trouble for these kinds of things, aren't we all guilty? I would put an exclamation point and highlighted that section. I was like, yep. Yes. Yes, you're all guilty. Yes, all of you are guilty. (laughs) Uh, And I was thinking about it, too, just like in the like there was that song, Ain't No Fun If The Homie Can't Get None. I can't can't remember who sang it, but I do know that that was a refrain that was said in my junior high school. And that's also the way I think in which like we're just socialized to believe that men can do whatever they want at any point and it's not about the person that they're doing it with it's about their friends and the way that they're being perceived by their social group i I, it's it's, i you know even you know when i was thinking about this type of school environment i was just like this happens everywhere like even you know i one of the most horrific moments in my life was coming so my parents have a two-family house and they were renting the first floor to a mom a single mom and her son and I came home and like there was like music and it was clear that there was a bunch of people in the house. And I walk into the teenage boys room and it was like about seven boys and two girls sitting there. Yeah. And it was so clear that like, you know, they were all just kind of like sitting there, but it was so that something insidious was about to go down or, you know, it was just like they were circled and the girls were in the middle. And so I think things like that happen all the time. And young women are just like left to kind of feel like, well, this is just the way this is just the way that things are. And like they not feeling like there's any agencies in that moment to say like, actually, I actually I am. I don't touch me. Don't um, I don't want to do anything for the pleasure of your entertainment, you know? So mm-hmm. I, I think it's just like 
Yeah, I think the thing about these um, school groups is maybe like the privilege that comes along with it or feeling like these are people that come from a quote unquote respectable house or respect, you know, respectful parents or whatever the case might be and feeling like, is this person capable of this horrible thing? And the answer is always yes. This is something that's perpetuated in pop culture constantly. I uh-huh. think about all of the teen movies that um, generations of people have grown up with. One movie I always think about is Revenge of the Nerds, where it is taken for granted that uh, having sex with a girl without her consent is a source of comedy. Look at how dumb she is. Mm-hmm. How did she not figure this out? Or was she so yeah. drunk that she was? And I mean, and that's lots of movies. Sixteen Candles. I was, I mean, I so, was many so taken aback by the Sixteen Candles. I've never confession. I've never watched Sixteen Candles. That's okay. I, you don't have to. <laughs> but this, I mean, the, the way that Jake Ryan's character was was described in one of the articles we read in the Vox article with, by Anna North. Yeah, yeah. with with um, Caroline, and she wakes up the next morning and she was unconscious, and the other boy had sex with her which is to say the boy raped her like this actually was in the film i was i was reading this and i was like this happened yeah yeah it's it's comedy ha ha all the guys are laughing ha huh? oh and uh actually we just talked about the netflix rom-com to all the boys i loved before mm. uh a month or so ago and they're still talking about that movie as sort of the quintessential teen movie that it, oh it's so fun that everyone gets to watch um i i didn't even remember the fact that there was that whole you know, rapey aspect to it. Um, But what you mentioned, Verilyn, you know, women not feeling agency to say, like, this isn't fun, this isn't funny, I don't want to be used as an object for your uh, bonding. Mm. The thing that continues to infuriate me about this Kavanaugh situation is the fact that there are so many women not only supporting him, but women who knew him in high school and college saying, well, of course he never did this. Uh, And there's 65 women signed a letter to say like, oh, well, he never sexually assaulted me. I mean, like the concept behind a letter like that is laughable just because (laughs) you obviously can never know whether someone has sexually assaulted anyone else just because they didn't sexually assault you. Like, uh, But also, I think there's pressure to pressure among women and from men to women to uh, turn a blind eye to the kinds of stuff, the kinds of sexual victimization that men perpetrate Mm -hmm. on college campuses and at drunk high school parties, because there's this there's a social cachet to just being able to look the other way or to join in 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 the laughter or to think, you know, oh, that's how boys aren't boys crazy sometimes. Um, And you're sort of part of the cool group. And uh I this is it's almost like a parable how perfect this story is. There was a woman, Renate Schroeder Dolphin, signed this letter saying, you know, Brett Kavanaugh is such a great guy. He would never do something like this. Meanwhile, there's in in Brett Kavanaugh's senior yearbook in high school. He had a a phrase under his picture that he put, Renate Alumnius. This is along with him saying that he was the uh, treasurer of the Keg City Club and the biggest mm. contributor to the Beach Week Ralph Club. He put the phrase Renate Alumnius. Turns out a lot of the football players had that phrase next to their photo. Mm. And it was in reference to this woman, Renate, then Renate Schroeder, now Renate Schroeder Dolphin, according to Kavanaugh, the fact that they attended a high school event together and shared a brief kiss goodnight. Which she denies. She says they right. never and kissed. Now, now she comes out and says, you know, I didn't even know that was in the yearbook until 
uh, someone brought it up to me. I don't know what that means. I can't begin to comprehend what goes through the minds of 17-year-old boys who write such things, but the insinuation is horrible, hurtful, and simply untrue. Mm-hmm. Um, meanwhile, she's I- I'm trying to muster some sympathy for her, but I kind of can't because she signed this letter saying, like, oh, he would never do such a thing. When it seems like if you were if you were friends with him at that time and you knew he ran in this crowd and and even if you didn't how would you know that he never sexually assaulted anyone but now she wants to say it's so hurtful and wow what what a what a hurtful thing for a 17-year-old boy to do but his explanation of that you know oh the fact that we all put that we were alumni of this woman in our yearbook uh, meant that we I cannot. Right, that we shared a kiss. That sounds like something you would tell your parents who who found your yearbook and they're like, son, you know, what does Renate Adolumnius mean? What does Beach Week Ralph Club mean? And you're like, oh, we shared a brief kiss goodnight after a high school event. It was all very chaste. Um, all of this information that's coming out now is refuting the picture that he has painted, which is that he never, he he didn't, he wasn't a, a crazy person who might get blackout drunk and try to rape someone. That he did, in fact, uh, run in the sorts of crowds that might do that sort of thing. The the fact is, every every session, cases around um, sexual assault or maybe even the way men and women are treated or um, maybe pay wage. There are just so many potential cases that will come up to the Supreme Court that I just don't want someone on there that thinks that the way that he is alleged to treat women as a, a teenager is okay. Like, I, I I kind of feel like it's the Handmaid's Tale effect, you know, like the the fact that Renee Schroeder Dolphin felt like you know regardless of the way the, her experiences in 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 high school that she could just dismiss it, she because she thinks that ultimately having him on will be more to her benefit than not. I mean, it's all fun and games until you get your finger cut off, right? Um, that's well, like a, <laughs> I've never heard that. That's that a handmade tale. Your eye poked out. A handmade tale, <laughs> deep cut. But I have to. I, I just have to interject here and say. um, you know, Christina, you were saying you don't really have any sympathy for Renate Dolphin in this case, but I actually do. I think women internalize a lot of sexism mm. and we are taught to put up with a lot of stuff that we shouldn't have to put up with. And we're taught um, to put up with people hurting us all the time. And maybe she didn't even realize the number of ways that he was hurting her or hurting others until she saw this evidence in the yearbook about she was essentially a club where every man could park his penis if you know, or whatever's being implied there. But that's so frustrating. It's like people cannot have sympathy or empathy for others until it happens to them. It's just, right. to me, it just feels like I just, I'm just tired of that narrative. I'm just like very... <laughs> oh, I hear I hear exactly yeah. what you guys are saying, but I have sympathy for her because, I mean, it breaks my heart, the idea of any woman just being proof of a whole bunch of men. It was 14 mentions mm-hmm. in this yearbook mm-hmm. about how they can have sexual exploits at a girl's expense. Yeah, but I think, yeah, I, I have sympathy. Obviously, like, I, I have, I don't know if sympathy, I have um, empathy. Like, yeah. I feel, I feel like this is why we're fighting. Like, this is the whole point. Like, to so you too don't have to have this experience or, you know, or, you know, mm-hmm. people that are in high school right now don't have to have experiences like this. Like, this is what it's all about. And yeah, women internalize sexism and perpetuate things that are harmful to themselves. I think, though, that we have to call it out because yeah. if we don't call it out, then you can't have corrective behavior. Yeah. And I'm not saying yeah. she should have ever signed that letter in the first place. All of the pain I feel for her is because of what was in that yearbook. I mm. wouldn't wish that on anybody. Mm. 
The other thing that I've been thinking about a lot is that, you know, what you two were saying before about, like, yes, you are all guilty. Yes, like, this is common. We see this happening all the time. That's sort of one strain of narrative that us, like, we feminists and people who are invested in the rights and health and well-being of women are putting forth. The other one is that this isn't normal high school behavior, that, you know, hashtag not all men have attempted rape. Uh, and that to say like, oh, this is just something high school boys do is sort of minimizing the severity of the allegations against him. And I'm, I sort of go back and forth between those two ways of looking at it. Like, yes, this culture and sexual assault and sexual harassment is pervasive and systemic, but also these allegations are not should not be sort of poo pooed away by saying all high school boys do them. How do you guys reconcile those two truths? I you know and and I always I go you know I <laughs> I the the part of me that hesitates to be like it should all be criminalized is just knowing the ways in which other like race and racism will impact you know black boys over you know the fact that bill cosby is going to jail for you know was this was the sentence i on the one hand you know you know the shrug emoji <laughs> like that's literally my <laughs> feeling about the whole thing was like well you know you do the crime but then also you know how many women had to come forward before harry weinstein was even you know any charge was put against him. There are ways in which I know that young boys of color, the society that that says that this behavior is okay, are going to get criminalized a lot more for the same like horrible um, behavior that impacts and traumatizes mostly young women, but not always. Right? There's you know a lot of this, mm -hmm. these these boys will be boys things that happen for the benefit of other boys sometimes a lot of times affect young boys as well um in sexual ways or just harassment ways or definitely in ways that lead them to be sexually harassed right and so i think i'm holding all that and answering you and saying that like we definitely need to start advocating for consent more like consent just needs to be something that like enthusiastic consent is something that we need to be preaching to our young kids like right now um but i think <sighs> criminalizing and this is like the this is the hard part where is this like all that being said i feel like criminalizing what we consider or what is known as boys will be boys the 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 hard part is just knowing that it's not going to affect the Brett Kavanaugh's of the world right it's not going like mm -hmm. i think of um 13 reasons why that series on also a netflix series um that that series and you know the jock in that that was like literally you know like raping you know rape rape, rape multiple people that were on the show and like had was accused of um taking pictures and like being you know drugging young women like that was all known and he still got off right sorry for that spoiler yeah but I mean, this isn't this isn't limited to fiction either there's brock turner yes. you know the guy who sexually assaulted a woman behind a dumpster at stanford university mm. who got um, six months in jail, which was then reduced to, I think, just about three months in jail, um, you know, because they said, well, he lost his swimming scholarship. That's exactly what the judge said. He, that's, a, that's a punishment enough for him. Mm, yeah. yeah, we've seen disparities in, in how crimes are prosecuted and how justice and injustice is meted out um, in real life, too. You know, and meanwhile, Emmett Till, you know, like it just to me is just it. Just, I mean, I, I feel 
I don't know if I'm being hyperbolic, but that's where my mind went. No, I totally get where mm-hmm. you're coming from. Um, somebody who is black and male and looks at a woman, quote, the wrong way versus Brock Turner. The, does I mean, one right. case doesn't deserve any punishment at all, and the other one receives no punishment at all, even though it deserves it. So mm-hmm. um, I totally get what you're saying, Verilyn. I've I've also been thinking about the question of whether sexual assault, you know, if if somehow it was proven beyond a reasonable doubt, which is not the standard of proof here, by the way, but uh, you know, if, if he did indeed commit the sexual assault uh, that he's been accused of, do do we think that sexual assault makes somebody particularly unqualified to rule on the Supreme Court on issues of women's rights or because I I don't think it it does. I think that sexual assault should make somebody ineligible for that the job that Brett Kavanaugh is seeking, but I don't think it makes somebody particularly unqualified to make decisions about women because you know, people who are pro women's rights sexually assault women too. Mm. And uh I've been thinking about Bill Clinton a lot because of slow burn which we talked about on uh the episode 2 weeks ago. And the fact that he, you know, multiple credible allegations of sexual assault and sexual harassment have been brought against him. I think it's inarguable that he uh, has very little respect for women in his life, yet he was really good on women's rights in office. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, certain women's rights in office, of course, like, you know, in terms of the crime bill and stuff, you could argue that women suffered more under him. But that was an argument for keeping him in office among some feminists. I mean, I just don't want anybody who rapes to be in office. I don't want anyone to get a lifetime appointment. I don't want the public to vote for them. What a radical proposition. I I just don't. I just don't want you there. Why can't we have, you know, a whole Supreme Court of Ruth Bader Ginsburg's and no Kavanaugh's? Why can't we just do that? I just I I don't want the rapist there. And I also, you know, you know, I I also just like, what are the documents that never released? Like, I'm just also like, there probably are other things that we should probably be looking at. I, you know, in a way, I'm always just like, this is this distraction? It's like, why is all of this happening? I'm I'm stuck in my scandal reality where I'm just like, scandal is way more realistic than it is. I'm like, what is, (laughs) if this is the story that's happening, what is the story that's not happening? (laughs) Yeah, that's true. I mean, the, the Ramirez allegations, by the time that they came out in The New Yorker, um, you know, the 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 lead of the story was basically that Senate staffers had been looking at these allegations for some time. And and same with uh, Christine Blasey Ford's allegations. Um, you know, Diane Feinstein and a couple other people had known about those allegations for a while and were just sort of, you know, wondering when to bring them up or wondering, you know, Christine Blasey Ford was deciding whether or not to come out. So uh, it's certainly possible that we We'll find out more in coming days and weeks. And uh, I'm really looking forward to I'm actually going to Christine Blasey Ford's Senate hearing today. Uh, so we'll see if there's uh, more stuff for us to talk about on future episodes. All right. Uh, listeners, let us know how you've been processing the Kavanaugh case, uh, whether the allegations about these high school and college parties ring true to you. You can email us at thewaves@slate.com. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? 
I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At ChumbaCasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. All right. Our next topic. Last week, HuffPost published a big article by Michael Hobbs titled Everything You Know About Obesity is Wrong. Kristen, why don't you tell us a little bit about the piece? Yeah. So this is a huge piece, including a lot of research, not only about um, the prejudice that fat people face in the world, how the medical treatment they receive is frequently substandard, uh, all the fat shaming that happens in this world, and specifically also about how fat people, what we're doing in our culture is blaming them for their size when there are bigger structural issues that are causing people to be fat, and how fat doesn't necessarily equal healthy, and there are other measurements of health that are not visible and that are not on a scale. Things like vegetable consumption or even how strong your grip is that tell you much mm-hmm. more about a human's health than what their BMI is, their body mass index. And so the piece goes a lot of different places. Um, there are a couple of moments where it also touches on race and class. But for the most part, it's really about how we demonize obesity and why we shouldn't be doing that. Yeah. The thing that uh, stuck with me from this piece was something that I had actually read in other places before. I mean, a lot of the stuff that he's talking about is not new research, but uh, he brings it together in a way that is shocking. I mean, the fact that dieting just doesn't work. And and researchers and scientists and nutritionists have known that since the 50s and 60s, that 95 to 98 percent of attempts to lose weight fail. And the vast majority of dieters end up gaining back more than they lost. And yet still the diet industrial complex is making more money than movies in the U.S. I mean, it's remarkable to me that the stories in the piece that um, touched me the most were about people going to their doctors and having their doctors basically Mm -hmm. shame them for being fat and then telling them that, you know, that that's for their own good, that that if maybe if you're ashamed of being fat, you'll just pull yourself up by your bootstraps, stop eating so much, exercise more, and lose all that weight when, A, it might not be necessary because, as you said, Kristen, it's, it, fat doesn't necessarily mean you're unhealthy. Uh, and B, it, it's impossible that your metabolism actually changes when you lose a lot of weight from a diet. It, mm. you're, it changes such that you gain a bunch of weight back again. Yeah, I mean, the piece even says just losing 3% of your body weight, just 3% slows down your metabolism by 17%. And on top of that, all that shaming, it kicks in a stress hormone that makes you hungrier. So when doctors are shaming their patients and telling them to lose weight, it's setting them up for failure. In a, it, they just can't win. They can't win. And the, yeah. and the thing about it, too, that I, I was, you know, in, in reading this, is also the way in which course capitalism plays in all this that nutritionists only get paid as little as $24 to provide a a session and that primary care um, physicians are only expected to get 15 minutes per appointment like I just think in 15 minutes like what can you do in 15 minutes like 
I don't know. Like I can't. Like when I go, luckily I have an amazing dermatologist that I actually spend a lot of time with talking about things I probably should be talking to a primary care physician about. <laughs> but like the things that we talk about is literally just like you know what am I eating? You know I'm supposed to mostly be gluten free. Um, if I'm not being gluten free, like what else am I cutting out? Like the kind you know we talk about these things that take. I don't know. Like I don't think about time, but the idea that there will be a physician thinking about 15 minutes and then if they like look at you and make assumptions about you know what they already think that you're doing or not doing because of your size then yeah it's more um, cost effective to just be like lose weight period and it's almost like treating obesity as a as a health crisis is creating a health crisis that the stigma around it is causing more harm than the actual thing because people uh, who believe they're fat and try to go on a diet will get into unhealthy eating habits or starve themselves and binge uh, mm. or eat or food will be surrounded by shame for them. And that never leads to healthy eating practices or not going to doctors because you think if you mm-hmm. go to the doctor because your ankle hurts, your doctor mm-hmm. will just look at you and say, well, lose weight yeah. when something's actually wrong with you that has nothing to do with your weight. Uh, and so actual health problems are being ignored and and uh, dismissed by people because they don't want to go to physicians because they feel like they'll just be dismissed because of their weight, because yeah. they are being dismissed because of their weight. Yeah, they are being dismissed. And one thing that Michael Hobbs talks about in his piece is the rates of undiagnosed ovarian and breast cancer in uh, fat women. It's so much higher because the women, when they go to the doctor, either A, they're not being looked at for those issues or the women stop going to the doctor entirely so they don't even get diagnosed because they are so shamed every time they walk into a doctor's office. Some doctors in the piece admit that they have an alarm that goes off when they're about to see a fat patient. Um, it and well, it, well, is it, it I, maybe I'm, I'm remembering this wrong, but isn't it that they don't like they have to look at the weight. And if whenever someone is above a certain weight, they get an alarm that tells yes. them. So that way they spend extra because most of the time they just like are very passive. And that's because of like they might not um, be able to get reimbursed for certain things that they they do to a patient. So it's all about money. If they don't talk about their weight. Yeah. You know, they and, literally I mean, get a physical alarm that rings on their system uh, to yeah. say you have to tell this person to lose weight. Otherwise, the insurance won't reimburse them for the services. Yeah. And this gets to the fact that it's not just individuals and individual doctor bias. This is a bigger systemic Mm -hmm. issue. And, you know, the piece also gets to those big systems about food distribution and what's available to whom and at what cost. And if everybody was healthier just by eating more vegetables, shouldn't we all eat more vegetables? But no, that's not possible when only 4% of the farm subsidies go to fruits and vegetables. Oh my gosh, that made me mm-hmm. so angry. It makes me <laughs> so, so mad. It shouldn't so be more expensive cheaper. to eat an apple than a bag of chips, but it is cheaper to eat a bag of chips than an apple. And even when I go to Sierra Leone, like, I eat rice every single day and I'll come back and like be fitter. Like I think it's literally the the way that our foods are processed, the fact that it's all about money and like how do we make this faster? How do we make this cheaper? And that's what's unhealthy, not necessarily the consumption or the type of foods. And yeah, the fact that, you know, there are vegetable based and uh, most of the stews that I grew up with have vegetables in them. Like that's the whole thing. So I, I mm-hmm. think it's more just the way that we think about meals here in America. And also, I don't know if the piece got into portion sizes, but I will say that when I've traveled, 
Portion sizes are a lot different in other countries. Well, the piece does actually get a little bit to portion size. And one thing it says that I think would surprise a lot of Americans is we actually now in America consume fewer calories per person per day than we did in 2003. So Mm. it's not even about the caloric intake. It's that the food we're eating isn't food necessarily. Mm -hmm. And when we're eating non-food, it's not good for our bodies. Yeah, Um, I saw that. Earlier this week, um, on Monday, the Weight Watchers CEO, Mindy Grossman, announced that the company will no longer be called Weight Watchers. It's shortening its name to WW, and it's pivoting to wellness, not weight. The new tagline is wellness that works because it's been, you know, it's sort of a faux pas now to say, like, you're on a diet, you're watching your weight. It's all about wellness and clean eating. Uh what do you guys think about that? So I'm showing Kristen an email that I just got from WW. And so the email now it says Team WW. And I'm like, what is this? Who's what, what team am I on? And then <laughs> it, like you scroll down. So I'm realizing as you're talking that this is actually Weight Watchers, but rebranded. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's yeah. of, a, of a couple walking together in the in the in a park. And it says, fall in love with WW. And so it's the same, you know, it still talks about, you know, food and, and, and losing and smart points and all that same stuff. It's just rebranding and remessaging. This is just a, a different advertising. It's all about capitalism and money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I feel like June. <laughs> it's true. And I think another thing that I've been thinking about um, with this article, the photos that accompany it are really beautiful. I would suggest going to our website mm. um, to click on the link to it or just going onto Huffington Post and looking for it yourself. But um, the the photographers and the editors uh, told the people who posed for photos you have complete control over this photo shoot. You tell us how you want to be depicted, what you want to wear, and everyone. And, you know, these are all fat people who have struggled with the diet industrial complex or being shamed by doctors. And um, they get to explain why they chose to wear a bathing suit or be, you know, having hiked a mountain with their two kids or having their face obscured because they don't want anyone to recognize them. Um And it drove home to me that the pressure to diet and to be thin or to not be fat is about more than just um, beauty standards or Mm -hmm. standards of sexual desirability. It's about just having the right to be a full person, to exist in the world without incurring judgment for having a body. And so it's not just women. I think a lot of times when people talk about the the pressure to lose weight, it's very gendered and it is very gendered. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the majority of sources in this are women. And um, one of the most disturbing statistics in the piece that I read was that half of three to six year old girls say that they worry about being fat. Three Mm -hmm. to six. I'm sure they like a three year old can barely say, like, I feel fat, you know, Uh, yet they worry about it. But this is something that uh, affects people of all genders and it's not necessarily about like looking hot to to get a guy to pay attention to you or something like that which i think infects a lot of the narrative about weight loss in the u.s Mm. and i you know and i think about like there's a meme that goes around that i think about a lot is like i wish i was i wish i was the size now that i was when i was first told that i was fat and I think about that all the time because I oh look at <laughs> I look at pictures of myself when I was younger, and I was just like, "Wow, like I thought I was fat," which is cr- I mean, like it's it's true. Like that was a lot of my childhood, 
And, you know, and one thing I will say about the piece that I was feeling reading it, I mean, obviously, I I think it was supposed to evoke a sense of like, it starts out by talking about scurvy and just how people weren't taking um, weren't taking it seriously and all these more people died until something actually happened. And so it, I think it is supposed to incite a sense of like, we need to do something now, people. Um but I wish that there was more because there are communities, there are um, people that aren't um, like being big is not a dire situation or, you know, they are they are just like buying clothes that are their size or thinking about ways in which to make lifestyle work for them. As far as, you know, the way that we think about the healthcare system, the way that we think about grooming. Um, there's a podcast that I started listening to called Cocktails and Confidence, and it's, a, it's by two um um, body body pause bloggers and there's this whole community which I knew nothing about of of, wim, of, of women uh, not even just women of people just saying like this is my size this is my body get used to it and like they they have conversations about what does it mean to get a wax as a as a plus size um, person living in this body like what does it mean to have sex and you know what are the different positions besides missionary you know so like literally the conversations that everybody are just like okay well how do I do it in this body and I guess I wish that there was more of that in this piece because I think like what make you know going to the next conversation that we're about to have around hair and black women's hair I think like what for me has made me the most um most acceptable about my body and myself is by the affirmations the the like you know oh girl you look cute in that dress or you know what I mean or like you know have you been to um forever 21 they have a new plus size section and like look at this cute dress that I got you know like the af- the af- affirming the more of the affirming ways and the ways in which people are getting affirmation I think it's sometimes at least for me the ways in which I've been more acceptable about my body and and thinking about, okay, it's not about dieting. It's about, like, including more greens in my food. You know what I mean? Like, Mm. those are the kind of ways. Like, let's talk about it in a positive way as opposed to a dire way because I think the dire ways still feels like, well, damn, like, regardless of all this stuff, that all this stuff is happening to me and it's, like, feels less like you have agency and to do anything about it. That's a really good point. I think that's a good ending note unless, Kristen, did you have something else? I think that's add. a perfect place to end it. I, <laughs> I do. Listeners, let us know if you have any other recommendations for uh, body affirming media we can consume and and what you thought about this piece, which I thought was pretty fantastic. The waves at slate.com. Napoli ever after. Yay. It's a new Netflix original rom-com. Apparently, uh, rom-coms are, uh, <laughs> there's a ton of them coming out from Netflix right now. Uh, the movie dropped on Friday. It's based on a series of books by Trisha R. Thomas. Uh, Verilyn, why don't you give us a little synopsis? Oh, my goodness. When I, I finished watching this, I think I tweeted something like, this is the movie that I deserved. <laughs> it was just so fun. And Okay, so it's about a woman named Violet Jones, played by Sanal Nathan. And she, her whole life, ha- because she has a controlling mom, played by the one and only Lynn Winfield, which I was so happy mm-hmm. to see her. Um, I think she's been doing, like, Greenleaf and stuff, but I haven't, like, really just, like, seen her, like, in this, like, devilish role, which she um, iconically did in um, The Thin Line Between Love and Hate. 
if anybody remembers that movie. Um, and so her mom is controlling and her mom has shaped her her whole life or like beat into her head that she needs to be the perfect perfect young woman. And a big part of that is keeping your hair straight. Um, there's It starts off with a scene of her wanting to jump into a pool. And, you know, she's obviously been told, like, you better not. And then she jumps and her mom's like loses her ish and then the kids in the pool like when she came up of course her straight hair has her curls have popped as they do and the kids are like oh cheer pet you know and so what i loved about this rom-com mostly because it like it didn't shy away also from like because it was about black hair race in this way i think like a lot of times when you think about rom-coms it's like everything is very surface level and i think like for most women of color, our love lives are complicated in all these different ways because we live in a world where race is a thing, where, um, you know, capitalism and wages and all these different economic factors. Maybe we have family that need money. Like, I've always think about rom-coms and feeling like that is not something that I could ever um, aspire to because that's not the way my life works, right? And hmm. so it's so nice to see Sanal kind of grapple with the reality of what it means to live as a black woman in a Eurocentric world, um, whether it comes to like her relationship. So, so I feel like I'm doing a horrible job at recapping this. So <laughs> she's this woman that's grown up to to think that the ideal is this like straight hair, beautiful. So she's we meet her in present day in this in bed with her with her not fiance with her boo. And he um, and we see that she gets up and she fixes her hair before he wakes up. And we've seen women do this. Like I was watching it and I was like, this is something that I feel like I've seen white women do all the time. You know, you get up, you you spray your hair, you make sure you smell nice and you you go back in bed and you pretend like that's the way that you woke up. That's like a trope that we've seen over and over and over again. That was (laughs) I'm going to let you finish, Marilyn, but I have things to say about that. No, go ahead. I, to me, and I know not all relationships are like this, but I was just like, straight relationships are so <laughs> weird. Like, you're going to get up before he gets up to do your hair and makeup and then like silently slip back into bed. And you've been dating for two years. For two years. And I, this is, this sort of sets off an argument that she has with her boyfriend and the reason why they break up at the beginning. Um, but I, uh, you know, the fact that he's like, oh, I don't feel like I know you. You never let your hair down around me, pun intended, whatever. But I also think, like you said, Verilyn, that is something that women do. And it's just so crazy to me. And I think about how much more sleep people could get <laughs> if they didn't, A, do that, but B, also have to do so much or choose to do so much to look a certain way. And that's that was the... Um, the sort of because, you know, I'm not black and so I couldn't directly relate to mm-hmm. all the struggles that she faces around her hair. But um, for me, the idea of like how much money I would save and how much time I would save yeah. if I wasn't a woman and have to like pluck my eyebrow, not have to, choose to, but also, you know, pressured by society, blah, 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 to like <laughs> pluck my unibrow, you know, or like put on mascara. And these are things that I can now find joy in. Like I love makeup. I like... Um, picking out a good outfit for myself and whatever. But also I think like being a feminine presenting person Mm -hmm. takes up a lot of time that like my butch female partner 
does not put into her look or, you know, most men don't have to put into their looks. I mean, without giving too much, too many spoilers, this uh, this leads her to I mean, if you've seen any promo for it, you see that Sonali then is bald at a point. So this leads her to cutting off all of her hair. And when she goes back into the office, I think one of the interest she's an executive at a at a ad agency and has been marketing the ideal beauty um, beauty type to women, which is also ironic in some ways. And, you know, when she comes back after cutting her hair, her boss says to her, like, this is not what I meant by, like, get your head on straight, right? Or people, like, she ends up to inadvertently um, being invited to a, a cancer support group. Mm-hmm. So there's this idea that, like, so just thinking about what you were just saying, Christina, around, like, you know, what would it mean if we didn't put on makeup? What would it mean if we didn't wear mis- um, pluck our eyebrows? I think people would just think that we're all very sick. <laughs> I, I need to jump in here for a second here and ask you a question, Verilyn, because oh I'm God. really curious about your thoughts on the two competing male suitors in the movie. Mm-hmm. So we have the first man who you already mentioned that she wakes up in bed with. He's a physician and he has certain expectations about uh, what a black woman should look like with regard to her hair. Which, Even though he started off by chastising her that I don't, I feel like I don't know you. You never like are real. And then later on it's revealed that like that was a clear expectation. That he yes, had. yes. <laughs> it is expected that your hair always be straight mm-hmm. and you never mm-hmm. get yourself wet and and so on. And then on the other end of the spectrum, we have her other suitor, the hairdresser, who is very sanctimonious about straightening a woman's <laughs> hair is essentially the same thing as putting like a dog down at the veterinarian. Right. Um, so we have these two suitors who represent two very, very specific points of view about women, black women mm-hmm. and their hair. Mm-hmm. And um, I hope I'm allowed to give a spoiler here. One thing I loved about the movie is that she ends up with neither of them. I loved that. I loved that. But I'd love to hear, Verilyn, from you what your thoughts are on these two guys. I mean, it's so they fit into such stereotypical um, tropes, right? The one that is wants to straight hair is the light skinned doctor, buff dude, and then the other one is the darker skinned. <laughs> um, also, he has a, an adorable little girl that I feel like is amazing. But like I, you know, there it starts off with her hair, like in, when when she first meets Sina- Violet, her hair is kind of like in a unkempt looking way, and I'm just like, even if your hair is natural. It don't need to look like that. I'm like, why is that little girl hair not done? Like, I know her dad is a hairdresser. I thought the same thing. I'm like, your dad is a hairdresser. I'm sorry. I was like, here, I mean, this has nothing to do with straight nappy curls. Like her hair just wasn't done. And that is, I mean, you're a hairdresser. That's not okay. Um, and so, and so, yeah. I mean, I I think both of them being, I think they were both supposed to be ideals of the opposite end of the spectrum, which is fine for the film. But ultimately, like she should be able to do whatever the hell she wants, whether she wants to put a weave in one day, whether she wants it to be straight. I think it's the expectation that it has to be a certain way, and I don't think that either of them were really saying that. I think even the guy that was accepting of her curls were was still kind of just like, this is the way that you're more beautiful. It's like, no, I'm I could I should be able to do whatever the hell I want. Yeah. I was kind of disappointed that the the moral of the story seemed to be, you know, you should be able to define yourself outside of the expectations of men and outside the expectations of this Eurocentric, you know, beauty standard that we have. But then it takes a man to make her realize that, you know, once he says like, oh, you, you know, your hair is beautiful the way it is. And let me rub this oil on your scalp. Do you think that but, he did that? Oh, I think the little girl did it. 
I feel like the I little... think he did because he was he it's he's sort of like, you know, she doesn't want to chill with him. And then he's like, no, stay. I'm making this stew. They go to the when they're on their first date. She sees he's her, casual and she like runs into. The, yeah. Her hair was already yeah. cut by the time okay, she but makes the stew. There's more, though. He uh, but she's starting to let her hair down because he uh, she, she hasn't accepted that her short hair is amazing yet. And then when she shows up on the first date and he's wearing a casual outfit. She goes into a gift shop and is like, oh, now I can wear this comfortable outfit. <laughs> and then he, she orders a salad. He orders a burger. And then she's mm. like, never mind. I want a burger. Which I, I don't, you know, I, I thought that that was sending weird mixed messages about like, what if she's a person who likes salad? You mm. know, like who actually is this person? Or is she just sort of shaping herself to what he is? Or it took him to make her realize like, oh, I don't have to eat vegetables all the time. I could eat fries on this date because I feel like it. But I think that was part of her journey. Part of her journey was... Um, I am trying to be perfect or I am trying to please men. And then in the end, that's why I love the end of this movie so much, because the grand conclusion is I only have to love myself. Mm -hmm. I don't have to choose either of you or your definitions of what makes me beautiful. But I feel that she had to try on a few different identities and she does it quite literally with her hair throughout the movie, too. I love that. Yeah. And so in the end. I mean, the end she, is cheesy as AF. It is cheesy, is, but, but I love it. Rom- I mean, like, if you love rom-coms, which I feel like we, we do. Yes, Marilyn and I both love rom-coms. <laughs> um, it's, it fits into the rom-com, like, tropes, but it's, it's great. It's like, why don't, don't get black girls get to have these corny endings? Like, that's fine as well. I mean, one thing I will say as far as, like, whether he was the reason, I think some of it is, like, you need... Um, almost like you need permission it's not that he's giving her permission but like you need permission so i'll you know when i i wore my hair natural for a long time before i actually wore it out naturally and i always say the thing that made me wear it out naturally was like when i moved to brooklyn and i just saw black women all over the place just wearing their hair natural and i will never forget the first time i walked out my house with my hair in like an afro and like you have a feeling of like is everyone staring at me and it's like no no one is looking at you. <laughs> no one cares. And if anything, you see like other beautiful black women just being like, oh, girl, I love your earrings. Oh, I love your hair. Oh, what was the twist out? Like this, like these random moments of like affirmation and like um, sharing that happens that just like uh, I think gave me permission. So even though I, you know, I, I, I stopped using the creamy cat crack <laughs> and like I wasn't perming my hair anymore. I think like in order for me to have permission to wear it out, it took like seeing myself reflected in my neighborhood and ha- honestly hearing people say like, oh, you look cute today. And But one thing, I mean, one of the criticisms I've been hearing a lot too is just like, oh, this movie feels so dated <laughs> that, you know, why is it coming out now? And honestly, it, like how revolutionary would this movie have been if it had come out the same time as Chris Rock's Good Hair mm, um, yeah. back in the day? And the, the, the my answer to that though is just like, we have it now, like... <laughs> let's just you know what I mean like we couldn't have it then because of all like the same things we used to talk about on represent um R.I.P. um you know about like representation and who gets to green like these movies like it's ha- it's here now and I think like we are in a play of in a different place but I do think that we still need these like images and this like, these like affirmations and I would also argue that looking to rom-coms to hmm. be the trailblazers for what happens in society and acceptance means you're probably not paying attention to rom-coms. You know, they're, they're, they're not usually going to be 
the place you go to for all of the important discourse about society, gender, race, and class. <laughs> yeah. And there were so many good rom-com tropes in this. I mean, like, the moment that she sort of, like, finds his, finds her initial boyfriend's ring in the closet, <laughs> or, like, a box that looks like it has an engagement ring on it, I'm like, he's not going to propose. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. you know what's going to happen. There's a scene where she shapes her head off. There's a scene where they all jump into the pool with their clothes on. It's like they're checking off the boxes yeah, of a yeah, yeah. romantic comedy. But... Yeah, I think, uh, you know, a lot of people have made this point um, better than I have. But just the putting somebody putting a black woman with natural hair and who's grappling with how to uh, make her hair, you know, or, or grappling to accept her hair in the central role in all of those tropes does make it a big deal. Mm-hmm. And um, so instead of I, I'm, we're totally spoiling this film, I mean, this is like a little less of a spoiler. The thing that it was, it wasn't a ring. It was a collar for a dog because he got her a dog. Don't get a woman a dog if she hasn't expressly told you she wants a dog. Don't get her a living thing. <laughs> a plant, maybe, but I'm not like, an animal. Is, why would you get her an animal? Like, here's a responsibility. <laughs> Because it's a romantic comedy. This is what happens. Here's another thing you have to spend time on. (laughs) And then they break up and he doesn't take the dog. I was so preoccupied with that. I was like, why is she still having this dog? Okay, I need to change the subject entirely just for one moment because I'm not sure if you guys knew this, but the actress who plays uh, Violet, Sanaa Latham, Uh she... She actually shaved her head for real yeah. in a single take Yeah, um, during that pivotal that. scene. And, and I was just astounded when I learned that. I thought, oh, they have some good special effects and makeup people. And then when I learned <laughs> that, I was like, that is unbelievable to me. That's when we first I first heard I knew this movie was coming a couple of months ago. She posted a picture of her bald head. And hashtag Napoli ever after or something like that. And anyone that knows the books, I I don't read the books, but there was a lot of conversations of excitement. The fact that these, because the, it's a series, a Napoli series, that it was happening. Um, I was, I mean, she's such a beautiful woman. I mean, like she's gorgeous. She, she she can like literally do. I mean, anything. She could put like a bird on her head, and it would like be beautiful. <laughs> All right, listeners, let us know what you thought of this movie and uh, how you did or didn't see it reflected in your own life. I'll be really interested to see your responses. Our email is thewaves@slate.com. Now it's time for our recommendations. I read a piece from last fall in The New Yorker. One of my colleagues mentioned it. I thought it sounded good, so I Googled it. Um, And I think that everyone should read it. Everyone who's interested in politics should read it. It's a profile of Tulsi Gabbard, the congressional representative from Hawaii's 2nd District. The profile is by Kelifa Sane. Um, And Tulsi Gabbard has sort of been a black box to me. Um, She was extremely young when she got elected. I knew she had done some things that were out of character for any congressperson, much less a Democratic congressperson, such as going to Syria to hang out with Bashar al-Assad. And it seems like she thinks he's doing a great job over there uh, and refuses to believe that he has deployed chemical weapons against his own people. And she endorsed Bernie Sanders, but she started out extremely socially conservative and anti-gay and, you know, still kind of can't speak in a, in a natural way about gay rights. She's flirted with Islamophobia, which has made some right wingers really love her. Um And reading this piece helped me understand the roots of some of her beliefs and inconsistencies in her beliefs. Um, The main root seems to be this new agey 
pseudo Hindu surfer guru that she has been following since she was a child. This guy who's affiliated with a multi-level marketing company. Um, Some of his followers have said it was like a cult that they had to eat the sand that he walked on. Um, You know, and and it's quite possible that he's a lot more conventional than that. But um, this is somebody who Tulsi Gabbard's father began following and then she sort of grew up with his teachings. A lot of the people who work for her are affiliated with him. And even, you know, aside from the fact that she is a congresswoman who is getting more and more famous and has been, it seems like she's maybe considering running for president in 2020. It's just a really good story and really uh, it describes a culture and a religious group in Hawaii that I didn't know existed. So I highly recommend that. Again, it's by Kelifa Sane in The New Yorker from mm. last fall. Mm. Fascinating. I will go next. Um, I feel like this is going to be such a bougie um, recommendation. But as you all know, (laughs) I just came back from Italy. (laughs) And I want to recommend um, siestas. So (laughs) Yes, I endorse this message. (laughs) So that is the time of day, like maybe between uh, five to seven five to seven where like all the restaurants in, in Italy close. And I think presumably they're taking a nap, but maybe they're just taking a break. And during that time, um, places have what they call the aperitivo, which is like you get a drink and then they give you like all the food. <laughs> it's amazing. All the food? I mean, they give you like a lot of food. Like I remember the first, the first place I went. So I have a, um, also I recommend getting a spritza. A spritz, which is uh, Prosecco, Aperol, and soda water. It is my new favorite drink. And so you go, you order your spritz, and then they give you, like, a platter of food with your drink. It's amazing. I'm going to your house later and and we're going to do this. (laughs) It's absolutely amazing. And then I was also going to recommend Night Flights. (laughs) Because I took a flight in the evening and ended up, I mean, like literally it helped with my um, jet lag. I watched so many films on the plane, including Love, Simon, which I cried. Has anyone ever seen this film? I highly recommend it. It's like another kind of like cheesy. <laughs> it's a teen it romance. Like you just recommend I, your life, Marilyn. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So, so far, this is three things. Siesta, spritzes, and I guess knife flights. And, like, and Love Simon. And love Simon. <laughs> <laughs> I'll stop there. <laughs> Basically, you need to open a travel agency. <laughs> I should. All right. I am going to recommend White Houses, which is a novel by Amy Bloom, which came out earlier this year. And I just read it for my book club. And in this book, Lorena Hickok, who was the journalist who was also Eleanor Roosevelt's quote, first friend, as they called her. Um, This tells her story from a first-person fictional point of view, Mm. Um, being on the road with Eleanor, a very passionate love that they shared, how they compromised with the fact that she was married to FDR, FDR's many affairs. And I just love any kind of novel that gets inside the story of some someone historic that mm. we've all learned about and just gives a different, more human point of view on things. And so in this story, I think anybody would love it who's just curious about either history of the FDR White House, anyone who has been in a long-term relationship, anybody who um, is curious about um, LGBT history. I, I just think there's so much beautiful stuff in this book mm. just about 
the endurance of love and the compromises we make in love. White Houses by Amy Bloom. Highly recommend it. Yes. Wow, that sounds really good. Beautiful. I'm, I'm kind of right. sad that she didn't recommend a self-help book. Oh, <laughs> no, because if I do that, you'll know what book I'm living by right now. We never give that away. All right. Thank you so much to our production assistant, Alex Barish, and our producer, Danielle Hewitt. If you like The Waves, please subscribe on your podcast app and give us a nice rating. For Verilyn Williams and Kristen Meinzer, I'm Christina Cotarucci. Thanks, as always, for listening. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.